I'm going to start off with an Ernest Holmes quote tonight. This was something that I first read in my very first foundations class. You know when you take a foundations class, part of it is you get to read that kind of thick book. Or if you're like me, you kind of skim it a little bit. <laughs> but anyway, I, I remember reading this quote, and it kind of stunned me, and I want to share it with you tonight. But the great love of the universe must be one with the great law of its own being. And we must approach love through the law. This, then, is the teaching. Love and law. As the love of God is perfect, so the law of God is also perfect. Well, you can imagine, as a, as a new student to metaphysics, that kind of got me scratching my head a little bit. First of all, I don't think I understood the idea of spiritual law much, that cause and effect thing, or that idea that thoughts become things. That was kind of fresh with me. But I also, other than just kind of the warm feeling around God, which hopefully we experienced a little bit of during our meditation, it, I was kind of like, well, how are these connected? I don't really see how, I mean, I, mean, I can feel God's love, and, and I'm getting a handle in my foundations class on, on knowing about this thing called law, how we can use our thoughts to bring about something new in the world. That as we change our thinking, we can change our lives. I was just getting a touch of that, but I totally did not get how the two work together. And in fact, later in his life, Ernest Holmes said, you know, I wish I had spent more time talking about love and less about law. And so we're going to have a, a, really a, a six Wednesday night series here. I wish they were in a row, but oh well. <laughs> It'll carry us through the spring and, and a little bit into summer. And we're going to have some fun with this. And, and I think at the end of it, we will all agree that these two things are both important. And we have to kind of study up, if you will, practice a little bit on both the love and the law. I also, though, have a, a minor hidden agenda tonight. Uh, today is uh, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday, uh, his actual birthday. I mean, and we're celebrating it on Monday. And uh, so to sort of, uh, as kind of a loving witness to the fact uh, that the religious scientists don't have it all, I'm going to share one of his sermons, oddly enough, about love and law a little later tonight. So I think we're going to have some fun uh, with that as well. But where should we start with this whole thing? Where should we start with this idea of God as love and law? Well, I think always the best place to start is a joke, of course. Uh, so here we go. A simple man dies and goes to heaven. When he gets there, St. Peter standing at the gate. Don't you love these St. Peter stories? They're kind of fun. <laughs> Apparently, heaven, though, is getting a little bit full. So he says, in order to get into heaven, you have to answer these three questions. Okay, first, how many seconds are there in a year? Well, the man is a simple man, but he thinks a minute, and he says, 12. January 2nd, February 2nd, March 2nd, and so on. What's 12 of them? Well, St. Peter kind of laughs and says, well, technically that's correct. Um, so, so sure, we'll go on to the next question. How many days of the week have a T in them? Well, the man thinks a little more. Two, he says. Two? Yeah, today and tomorrow. St. <laughs> Peter really does get a good laugh, but says, correct again. Why not? Question number three. Now, this one's a little harder. Think up. What is God's first name? Well, without hesitation, the fellow says, Howard. St. Peter, really perplexed, says, Howard. Now, 
How on earth do you figure Howard? Well, he says, well, you know, it's right in the Bible. Our Father who art in heaven, Howard be thy name. <laughs> you probably saw that one coming. Oh, well. <laughs> so love and law. You know, I think actually a good place to start is with something that we call the metaphysical chart. And, and Rand, I, I hope you can put that up for us on the, on the screen. That was something that I, I sent off to Gary. Yeah. So does this little symbol look kind of familiar? It's in a lot of science of mind literature. It's, you know, the home office's website has it. There's probably copies of it. Or Oh, yeah, take a look over there, one of the banners on the wall. Uh, so this so-called teaching symbol uh, actually represents something interesting, more than just decorative, more than just a symbol. It was something that Ernest Holmes and other teachers used to explain different aspects of God or how God works. And so you can roughly think of it as kind of a layered cake and, uh, and the three layers with the, with the V superimposed over the top. The top level, if you will, uh, represents the, uh, the oomph of God. It represents our, our own desires. It represents love and life and the, the things that move us forward, the things that we want to do in the world, the invisible thoughts, ideas, you know, if you were to think of cause and effect, this would be the cause part of it. This would be our desires. This would be our thoughts that we're wishing to move into action. The middle part is the law. The middle part are those spiritual laws, those spiritual principles that take over the work of producing what we want in the world. So as we change our thinking on the top, we sort of feed that into spiritual law. And then at the bottom of the chart is, is our physical world, is the, the world of effects, is the, the, the things and the stuff and the relationships and the people that we love. And so one way of looking at this love and law situation is that we've got love on the top. That's our desires. That's our, uh, our connection to God that is to be fruitful. It represents what we want out of life. It represents our dreams. Those in, in that little V you can think of as a funnel then go into the law and create for us our lives. We're literally creating and recreating every day our lives through this process, if you will, of, of love and law. Some people call it cause and effect. Uh, but the idea, I think, no matter what you call it, is pretty straightforward. As we think a thing, and that goes into the law that is acted upon by that universal spiritual law, and it becomes our lives. And oh my gosh, there's so many different ways that people talk about this. Um, you know, thoughts become things is one of the things that Ernest Holmes used to say. Um, you know, for every effect, there must be a cause and so on and so forth. The reason I'm kind of keen on this idea of love and law is that we often try to work the middle of that thing. We often try to look at those spiritual laws as though they were nothing more than a mechanism for getting what we want. And, and I suppose, you know, in a way there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, actually it works. Do you know what I mean? If we're really clear about our thinking, it goes into the law and infallibly the law will produce that. Infallibly. As long as we don't have mixed thoughts, as long as in our own hearts we're not saying, oh, but I'm not really good enough, or, you know. I mean, sometimes, do you know what mixed thoughts are? 
Right. It's when one minute you think one thing, and then almost immediately you say, oh, well, but not for me. Or, <laughs> or oh, but that's going to be hard. How's that going to happen? So you plant the seed and then immediately dig it up. That's kind of what I think of as a mixed thought. But assuming that your thoughts are pure, assuming that with great conviction on your part, you think a thing, you have a thought pattern, and you, you, you hold it and, and create it in your mind. The law is infallible. You will that thing or, or that situation, that experience of life you want, will indeed show up. It's the power of your word, and we talked about that in the last series. The part that Ernest Holmes says so often we're missing, though, is do we really get what we want, or do we just get what we thought about? Here's the love part. Here's the part that so often we're missing out when we do no more than just manipulate this thing that we call the law. Now, again, there's nothing wrong with that. It's a spiritual law. It's there to be used. And in fact, whether we do it consciously or not, we're using it. <laughs> every time we have a thought, whether it be a fearful one or a joyous one, every time we have a belief, whether it be a belief that's wholesome or, or a belief that drags us down, it's always acting on that law. So we might as well be consciously using it. We might as well be thinking very clearly about what it is we want to experience, knowing that that universal law, that, that mechanism that is God-created also, is going to take hold of that idea, and here you go with it. And it's one of the ways we really do change our lives. We change our stinking thinking... And oh, we get something sweet spelling then, don't we? It's, it's a lovely effect. But how often have you really worked towards something? How often, in your mind's eye, has there been a clarity of a change that you wanted to make and you've made it and the results seem hollow? It's almost as though the thing that you wanted as soon as you got it, you didn't want it anymore, or it doesn't seem satisfying, or it, it doesn't seem like it was really the it. I know not too long ago I had the, uh, uh, the, the great joy of getting to buy a brand new car. Oh, it felt so good. And you know what? That feeling lasted about a week. <laughs> I wish I could say it gave me as much pleasure, you know, four months later. But the truth is, not so much. And although I put a fair amount of uh, uh, prayer work into figuring out finances and, and turning a lot of that stuff over to God, because it was really unclear to me how I would finance that car and even what car I wanted. And at one point I just said, ah, I'm leaving all this up to God. Nonetheless, when the car came and it did meet all the criteria I wanted in terms of, of working into my budget and, you know, it's an electric car, so it made me feel good about, uh, about doing the right thing for the environment and the planet and all of those things. It literally met all of my criteria and I was so glad I just turned it over to God. And now, a few months later, do I even think about it? Was it that big of a deal? This is the trouble with love and law. If we focus too much just on the law, we may end up with a great series of using that law and then ending up a little empty-handed at the end with lots of stuff, with lots of experiences, with lots of new relationships. And none of that is bad at all. But my question is, is it going to be satisfying? Will it be long-lasting? Is it going to be something that's really going to change our life, or will it be just something to plug into the garage, in my case? <laughs> <laughs> All right. 
I promised you a little bit of Martin Luther King Jr. And I think this is the time to, to read that. Uh, you know, he, he, well, of course, we know him as sort of a great statesman and a civil rights leader and some of his most famous speeches. But you know what? He was a Baptist minister, too. And a lot of us have not had the great joy of listening to him preach. There are a very few recordings of him actually in the pulpit. Most of them are from rallies and other things. And so I wanted to, uh, I wanted to share with you one of, his, uh, one of his regular sermons. So this was, uh, he gave, this is the end of, of his sermon called A Tough Mind and a Tender Heart. And it, uh, he delivered it on August 30th, 1959 in Montgomery, Alabama. He said, the greatness of our God lies in the fact that he is both tough-minded and tender-hearted. He has qualities both of austerity and gentleness. Now the Bible, always clear in stressing both attributes of God, expresses his tough-mindedness in justice and law, and his tender-heartedness in love and grace. God has two outstretched arms. One is strong enough to surround us with justice and law, and one is gentle enough to embrace us always with grace. When we're staggered by the chilly winds of adversity, when we're battered by the raging storms of disappointment, and when, even through our own folly, we stray into some destructive far country and are frustrated because of a strange feeling of homesickness, we need to know that there is someone who loves us, who cares for us, who understands us, and will give us another chance. When days grow dark, when nights grow dreary, we can be thankful that our God combines in his nature a creative synthesis of love and justice, which will lead us through life's dark valleys and into the sunlit pathways of both hope and fulfillment. Gosh, I would say we're not that much different than the Southern Baptists in this respect. <laughs> it's love and law. It is truly the understanding of both how God works in terms of justice, in terms of law, in terms of our, our word being made manifest in the world, but more than that, and perhaps more important than that, it is that relationship that we have with God, and it is our relationship with our own higher wisdom self around what truly would be good for us. You know, so often we fall into patterns, I think, where society tells us what we want. Are you familiar with this? The, the television always blaring at us, telling us uh, you know, what new pills we need or what new treatments we need or what new, well, in my case, a new car we need. You know, It's like you can't turn around without kind of sometimes pretty boldly being told, go buy this thing or, or go ex have this experience. You know, Go vacation here. It will change your life. Well, all of those things are good and all of those things are wonderful. And probably 90% of them are like my new electric car. In the moment, it was kind of a cool thing. And, right? The new sweater, no matter how gorgeous it is, is in the closet most of the time. But, you know, it's stuff. It's stuff. And rearranging the furniture of life is often a pleasant pastime, but ultimately doesn't get us anywhere. It is through love 
that we will come to understand ourselves. It is through that connection, that collaboration that is so personal, unlike the law, which is impersonal, right? Because that's the other thing that's at work here. We talk about the law of God as being actually very impersonal. Works for everyone. Thoughts become things, and it doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter what the thoughts are, doesn't really matter how old you are, what your background is. Your thoughts, when closely held, will produce things from them. So that's pretty impersonal. And if we stick with that, if we do that impersonal thing, my thought is we're kind of no better than just following the media and what it thinks it wants for us, what, what our life will be allowing all of the inputs that come our way from friends and family and from school and loved ones and from Madison Avenue and from doctors and, you know, it's flu season, so everybody get the flu and the whole nine yards. It's all just out there telling us what we should think. And if we have those thoughts and put them in the law, well, we should expect to get the flu. We should expect to experience all of those things. Do we love ourselves enough to rebel against this? Please say yes. <laughs> okay, thank you. You were starting to look just a little stunned out there. I was afraid I had gone too far. I think so. I think we are ready to experience something more wholesome because it will come from our heart and not so much from our head via our ears. I think we are ready to experience something that will be lasting and joyous and beautiful. And I'm going to give you an illustration. You know, we're probably going to run out of time here. And besides, I can't tell it all to you because we have five more weeks of this that, <laughs> that will unfold in the coming months. But I do want to give you an example from my own life. Uh, my dear sweet dog passed away two years ago. Or, excuse me, two days ago. I, I'm still kind of grieving the loss of my dog. But I want to honor her by telling you a story which absolutely illustrates this from, a, from several years ago. Two houses ago, in the middle of the winter, this same sweet dog that passed on at, at almost 19 years of age, at that time she was about 16, I guess is right, and, and pretty elderly at that point. One of those, those little mixed breed kind of dogs like this. And we'd always had to be pretty careful because she's a little bit of a wanderer. So we've always had the fenced yard. We've always had to be careful about you know, not letting her out in the street. Uh, she's all, at that time too, completely deaf. So if she gets out, it's like you gotta chase after her because no amount of calling is gonna do any good. Well, it was a winter night, not unlike this, except below freezing, and the little dog, the, the, the fellow that comes and reads the gas meter had left the back gate open. So she went out her dog door, and I'm thinking, you know, where, where's Sophie? Where's Sophie? Gone. Well, panic, right? Here this, this tiny little dog, you know, it's dark, it's out, it's below freezing. Um, she's 16, which I thought at that time was old for a dog. Uh, I'm thinking to myself, I guess that's the end of Sophie. And I think to myself, well, I should pray, for, I should pray around this. There's no reason to think that God won't uh, create miracles, whether they're big or small, whether they weigh 95 pounds or whether they weigh about six pounds. 
And so I sat down to pray for it. And I, I prayed around having the doorbell ring and someone bringing her home. Do you know what I mean? It made sense to me that someone out there would see this little dog, even though I'd walked around the house and did some loops in the neighborhood. I couldn't find her. But I figure someone's going to see this little dog. And, of course, she has the name tag on her, and they'll bring her home. So I do a, a prayer around the doorbell ringing and recognizing uh, my sweet dog back in the house. Well, an hour passes, and I'm starting to worry a little more about it. And I'm thinking, you know, maybe I'm trying to to overthink this a little bit. And so I sat down and I did another prayer. And the prayer this time was around a phone call, the idea that, that someone would have found her and there would have been a phone call and, and I could come and get her. You know, maybe I was expecting too much that God would bring her to the porch, right? <laughs> so instead, it'll be the phone call and I'll go get her. That, I figure that gives God more room, right? It's like, I was crazy. <laughs> what can I say? I was a little crazy. A few minutes later, still, I'm feeling like, you know, this is not the right thing. There's something, something going around here. I think I'm just trying to use the law in kind of crazy ways, if you know what I mean. And, and of course, uh, God is responding to these kind of jumbled up thoughts and my panic and things like that. What do I need to really do here to make a better job of this, to really use love and law? So I went out into the street because I wanted to feel what it was like as though I were her. And so I, I just went out in my shirt sleeves and, and, and was out in the freezing weather. And literally I went out into the middle of the street and I kind of sat down on my haunches a little bit. And I thought, what I really want to pray is a feeling, not a thing. What I really want to know for my sweet Sophie is that she's safe. And, I, and in a way, do I care whether there's a doorbell involved or do I care in a way whether there's a, a phone call or do I just want to know that she's safe? And so there in the middle of the, the freezing weather in the street, I just closed my eyes and I put my hand over my heart and I thought of her wrapped up in a warm blanket. I thought of her wrapped up in the arms of God as best I could, as best as I understood that to be safe and secure, like, like in a little perfect bubble of safety. And I said that, you know, this is good enough. And whether she ends up in someone else's house, whether I ever see her again, uh, really I'll leave that up to God. It's really about knowing that she's safe and she's loved. And so I just sat there for a couple minutes in the cold. And as I opened my eyes, there was Sophie. She just came out from between a bush in my own yard. <laughs> on the wrong side of the fence, but still right there in my own yard. And I realize so often we overthink. So often we, we try to use the law as though, as though the law were some kind of a, a blunt instrument, I guess is the best way I can think of it. As though we're going to tell God what's best for us and, and how it's going to happen and how life will unfold. We go all about double thinking the infinite. I mean, God is that infinite love of the universe. And we're going to tell God how to keep a dog safe? Am I crazy? 
I was crazy. I was crazy. This is love. This is the most powerful force in the universe. And over the course of a few Wednesday nights together, we're going to become immensely powerful at using love through the law. So, so no more just, you know, manifesting a, a few baubles. No more rearranging the furniture of our lives. We are going to come to a place of power through using our love, through using our higher wisdom self, through using that personal connection with God through the impersonal mechanics of that law that produces all things. And we, my friends, are going to make some amazing progress in our lives. I'm going to leave you with a little bit of homework tonight to get us ready for the next session next month. And this, I think, is a simple one, but you might want to do a little journaling around it, certainly a little bit of meditation or contemplation around it. I would like you to discover and to describe your current connection with God. So let's put the, the law side of it uh, to the side, just for, just for a little bit here. I mean, I know we all do use the law, and, and I know in Science of Mind teachings, we often highlight that. Let's put that aside for just a minute. And your homework is, what is your relationship to the divine like? How do you experience that thing called God? What does it feel like? And if you think back to the little meditation we did tonight, that might be a good place to start even. What does God's love feel like to you personally? So, so put aside maybe what you've read in the Bible or other spiritual sources D directly to you personally. How have you experienced God and what was that like? Whether it be in meditation or, or, or just in the sweetness maybe of being here on Sunday. How has God been an experience in your life? That's your homework to, to last through till February. And then we're going to have some fun. We're really going to get amazingly powerful at both the love aspect of God and the law aspect of God. I'm going to close today with another quote from Ernest Holmes and a prayer, of course. This is Ernest Holmes from 1955. He said, The basic proposition is that the universe in which we live is a combination of love and law. It is both the divine presence and universal principle. We may call it a spontaneous self-emergence and a mechanical reaction. We may call it the word and the law. We may call it the personal and the impersonal. We may even call it the thing and the way it works. But everything we do, everything we say and teach, our methods of treatment and procedures, all of it is based not on a duality, but a dual unity of love and of law. Let us pray. There is one power, one presence, one life, one love. It is that thing which I call God, but whether you call it divine spirit, whether you call it the earth mother, Allah, the Buddha way, it simply represents all that is every person and place, everything and situation, every goodness and beauty, all of it, all of it, 
is God. And I know that means me. I know that I can personalize this idea of God as love in my own life, feeling safe, secure, feeling a willing and loving participant with God in the unfolding of my own life, sensing that co-creative power. This is God working through me and as me. And as it is true for me, I know it is true for each person in this room. Each person here has the capability of a strong and powerful love connection to the Creator itself, to our higher wisdom self. Each of us, whether in meditation or contemplation, whether in our everyday business or in a special time on Sunday mornings, participates in God as love. And so for this week and for this next month, I know that each one of us is perhaps drawn a little more closely to this relationship with that higher power. Each of us has that opportunity of experiencing more of God's closeness. And I'm grateful for this. I'm grateful to be here in the power and the presence of God as it shows up in each soul in this room. Grateful for God in so many ways and so many blessings. I simply let it be, and together we say, and so it is. Thank you for being here tonight. Thank you so much for being here.